And now here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. I read a rather unbelievable incident where a young married man forgot that he was married. After returning from, you laugh, after returning from their honeymoon, the husband was about three hours late one evening getting home after work because he had absentmindedly gone to his mother's house instead of going home to his bride. Now, a tip for you young husbands, we have a few of them in here, don't forget that you're married. (laughs) That sort of thing is kind of rare in the realm of marriage, but you know what? It is rather common among those who are married to Christ. We are joined to him as a bride so that we are now members of his body. We are identified with him in his death and his resurrection so that the power of sin has been broken. That's what we looked at in verses 1 through 4. But we forget that essential truth every time we fall into sin. Now, Paul is rebutting the charge that his teaching that God justifies the ungodly by grace through faith alone, apart from any merit, uh, that that's going to lead to licentiousness. Now, licentiousness is a big, ugly word, and here's what it technically means, contempt of the just restraints of the law, morality, or decorum. In another word, it's sin. Here's an easy way to remember licentiousness. License to sin. In other words, it's okay to sin. Well, Paul is proving that our union with Jesus is completely opposed to a life of continuing in sin. Rather, our identification with Christ in his death and resurrection, it frees us from slavery to to sin and allows us to walk in that newness of life that Paul just talked about in verse 4. But Paul knows that we are prone to forget about our new position in Christ, which is the foundation for our holy living. It's what he has accomplished. And so he really hammers it home in these verses. Now, here's Paul's uh, flow of thought. In verse 4, He says that our baptism pictured the spiritual union that we have with Jesus. Now that union is both in his death and his resurrection with the practical result that we will uh, walk in newness of life. Now verse 5 supports and really kind of explains verse 4. Paul says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Then in verses 6 and 7, Paul expounds on the first half of verse 5, showing that we have become united with Christ in his death so that we might no longer be slaves to sin. That's That's the goal here. And then in verses 8 through 10, he expounds on the second half of verse 5, showing that we shall also live with Christ. Now, he explains the implications of Christ's death and resurrection so that we will understand further what our union with Him means, and, and namely, a decisive break with sin and a new life with God. Now, I'll say at the outset that this is not an easy text to grasp. There are all sorts of interpretive issues where commentators differ, and having read about six or seven of them, they can get a little confusing, to be honest with you. So I'm not counting on this one message to make this passage crystal clear to you. What, What I hope, though, is that you'll be motivated to dig deeper into these chapters on your own. Now, these verses are very important because Paul, is his aim is that we should live in victory over sin. 
Christ's death and resurrection not only paid the penalty for our sin, we understood that, we, we looked at that in chapter 4, but also provided the power that we need to overcome sin on a daily basis. So if this message leaves you a little confused, I urge you not to just shrug your shoulders and walk away. Rather, chew on these verses kind of like a dog with a bone till you get the marrow of them into your soul. Paul's main idea is this. Living in light of our union with Christ is the key to overcoming sin. Now let's pray. Father, again, we ask, uh, we recognize that we, we need your wisdom, so we ask for it uh, just through the power of your Spirit that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to understand the truth that is before us, Father, and what it means that we have died to sin because we have died with Christ. So, Father, uh, just speak to our hearts and do a work in them that we can only attribute to you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, to put it another way, don't live in sin as you live, used to live because you're, you aren't the same person that you used to be. It's just that simple. Before, you were in Adam. Now, you're in Christ. In Adam, you were dead in sin. That's it, dead in sin. In Christ, you were dead to sin. And Paul adds at the end, alive to God. So, believe and act on the basis of your new identity, not your old identity. So a couple main points here. Number one, to overcome sin, know that you are totally identified with Christ in the likeness of His death. Now, in the first part of verse 5, Paul states that the fact that we as believers have become united with Christ uh, in the likeness of His death, that's a fact that he states. Now, the word if there, that doesn't express any type of doubt. It can actually be translated as since. Now, verse 6 and 7 explain this a little further. Paul says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So in Adam, we are enslaved to sin. In Christ, we are not. He's, and he goes on, he says, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, Paul is talking about the knowledge of what God has revealed to us, not the knowledge that we gain by personal experience. In other words, you're never going to feel crucified with Christ. It is something that you believe, and the reason we believe it is because the Bible says that it's so. Now, let's see if we can follow Paul's train of thought here. A, we are completely united with Christ in the likeness of His death. When we trusted in Christ as Savior, we were united in Him. Now, that word united, it means literally to be grown together with or, or grafted into Christ. An older commentary says the word exactly expresses the process by which a graft becomes united with the life of the tree. In other words, it points to our organic living union with Christ in which we share His resurrection life. But if you'll notice the first half of verse 5, the focus is not on sharing His life, but rather sharing in His death. And we saw this in verses 3 and 4 uh, last week. When Christ died, we died in Him. The perfect tense of verse 5 means that this union was a, a past action that has ongoing results. But why does Paul say that we have become united uh, with Him in a death like His, not just in His death? Well, John Calvin, I think he, his explanation makes sense. Uh, he says that Paul is differentiating between Christ's physical death and the spiritual implications of it. 
We have not yet died physically. Bump somebody next to you and see if they're still alive. We haven't died physically yet as Christ did. But we are joined to Him in the spiritual benefits of His death. Our union with Christ, it's very close. And that's what the word united implies, but it's not exact. Now Paul comments further on the implications of this union with the likeness of Christ's death in verses 6 and 7. Now B, the union with Christ means that our unregenerate life is over so that now we do not need to obey our old nature. Paul says in verse 6, Our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Now things get confusing here in light of other texts where Paul talks about the old man and the new man in both Ephesians and Colossians. And then in Romans 8 and Colossians 3, Paul tells us to put to death the deeds of the flesh. Well, in our context, in our passage this morning, the old self represents what we were in Adam. We looked at that back in chapter 5, verses 12 through 19. We are no longer in Adam. Now we are in Christ, who is our life, Paul says. So when he says that our old self was crucified with him, he means that what we were before we were saved, it died with Christ. That's the old life. There is a complete severance between what we were under the reign of sin and death in Adam and what we have become under the reign of grace to eternal life in Christ. There has to be a separation. Our old life has ended as crucified implies. The problem is, if our old man has been crucified, then where does my strong propensity towards sin come from? You ever recognize that? How easy it is for us to sin? Well, clearly, we still have an old nature, and sometimes it's translated as the flesh. Uh, and this flesh within us wars against the indwelling Holy Spirit. Paul speaks about this explicitly in Galatians chapter uh, 5 and verse 16. He says, Walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets itself against the Spirit and the Spirit sets itself against the flesh. And they are contrary to one another so that you cannot do the things that you would like. Have you ever felt a war going on between you or on the inside of you <laughs> concerning good and evil? And it, it, cartoons picture it this way, right? A little angel over here, a little devil over here, and each whispered in your ear. That, that is very simplistic, but that's what Paul is saying. We have a, a sinful nature, and it is, it, it is in full-arm battle with, our, with the Holy Spirit who's, who's going to win. Holy Spirit's going to win, but that battle is there. Uh, that, that's a good thing. If you've got that battle, <laughs> then you're probably a believer. Well, Paul commands us to put off the old man and put on the new man in Ephesians 4. Why do we need to put off the old man if it has already been crucified? Well, I think that Thomas Schreiner, that he's on target when he says, what we have is that already not yet tension that informs all of Paul's theology. The old person has been crucified with Christ, and the new person is a reality, and yet the old person still must be resisted and his desire thwarted. Believers must also choose to clothe themselves with the new person that is theirs in Christ, end quote. To put it another way, in Christ our old man was crucified positionally. Positionally. It's a spiritual fact. 
Just as the fact that I am raised up and seated with Christ in the heavenly, in the heavenly places is true positionally. Paul tells us this is true. But in practice, <laughs> I have to count it as true by believing it and resisting my indwelling old nature that tempts me to sin. Now, I say that the old man was crucified. That is a vivid way of saying that positionally its power is broken. But practically, I have to apply that truth in the daily battle against sin and against temptation. Then what does Paul mean when he says, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing? Again, there's a lot of discussion. You remember the Lord Jesus. He makes it clear where does sin originate? In our hearts. Our physical bodies are not inherently sinful, as some ascetics have maintained, so that we should deny any physical pleasure. They say that any physical pleasure is sin because the body is evil. Rather, Paul probably uses the expression body of sin because the body is the means by which sin is concretely accomplished. It begins in the heart, but where does everybody else see it? <laughs> through something that we say, something through it that we do, it's through what our body does. Our bodies are the means by which the sins of our hearts eventually manifest themselves. Now, the verb translated brought to nothing, it means to render powerless or in, inoperative. So when Paul says that our old man was crucified in order that our body of sin might be brought to nothing, I think he means that when we believe and act upon our new position in Christ in which our old self was crucified, we are not going to fulfill or act out the sinful desires that tempt us. We will no longer be slaves to sin. That's what verse 6 says. The power of sin to control us has been broken by virtue of our union with Christ. Now, verse 7 adds a word of explanation. He says, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, the literal translation is interesting. It says, for he who has died has been justified from sin. It's a word we're very familiar with, but it's used very differently. Most translations and commentators agree, and they take it to mean freed. Okay, that they are freed in this context. We're freed from sin. Now, Paul shifts from we, a corporate, to one or he, depending on your translation. So he's probably citing a general illustration here to support verse 6. The idea is very simple. When a person dies, obviously he's done with sinning. He's not going to be doing any more of that. Well, since we died positionally within Christ, sin now has no jurisdiction over us. We do not have to obey it anymore. Now, there are a lot of difficult details in these verses, but Paul's overall point is clear. In Christ, sin's power has been broken. When you come to Christ, you cannot hang on to your sin with, with one hand and then hang on to Christ with your other. You must make a distinct break with that old life. As believers, we have become united with Christ in His death so that we would no longer be slaves to sin as we were before we came to Christ. So if you claim to be a Christian and yet you're enslaved to sin, at the very least, you do not, you do not understand your new position in which your old man was crucified with Christ. Paul would ask you directly, how shall we who died to sin still live in it? 
Well, so far we've looked at what it means to be unified with Christ in the likeness of His death. But in the second half of verse 5, Paul says, We shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. And then he expounds on it in verses 8 through 10. So number two, to overcome sin, know that you are, you are totally identified with Christ in the likeness of His resurrection. We just looked at the death, now the resurrection. Again, there's a lot of debate over the exact meaning of these verses. Uh, I'm going to try to explain my understanding under two headings. A, to overcome sin, know and believe that the future you will share, in the future you will share fully in Christ's resurrection victory over sin. Now some argue vigorously that Paul's statements about being united with Christ in His resurrection and living with Him, that they refer specifically to the present. Pastor, don't you mean to say that because of our union with Christ, we have died with Him and we have been raised with Him? Not we will most surely be raised with Him. Don't you mean to say since we are united with Him and He has risen, we were in Him and we also rose with Him? Isn't that present experience of resurrection implied in verse 4 where he says, As Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life? And verse 11, Consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Or verse 13, Present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. We can go over to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5, where Paul says, When we were dead in our transgressions, God made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with Him. And what about Colossians 3, 1? It says, If you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. So surely you mean to say, Pastor, that because of our union with Christ, we have died with Him and we have been raised with Him. Surely that's what you mean. And I would say, to a degree, yes. Yes, I want to honor the biblical truth that our union with Christ means that we now walk in newness of life. That's what verse 4 says. And, and we are now alive to God, verse 11. And we are now alive from the dead, verse 13. But I also want to honor the biblical truth of Romans 6, 5 and 8, two of our verses this morning. Verse 5 says, For if we have been uni united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. Grammatically, that sounds future, doesn't it? It's the and in the Greek, it is the future tense. It's the same in verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also, that we will also li live with Him. Again, grammatically, this says that our resurrection is future. And if I want to honor the meaning of Romans 8, 11, there Paul says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Again, our union with Christ by His Spirit guarantees our future resurrection. Now, one of the reasons that I want to say it the way Paul says it here in Romans chapter 6 is because he may be protecting himself from a heresy that was afoot in his day. I want you to listen to a description of this heresy. Uh, it's recorded in 2 Timothy 2, written by Paul, of course, verses 17 and 18. Paul warns against those whose talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have gone away from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already 
already taken place. And they upset, upset the faith of some. The heresy was the resurrection has already taken place. So hear me on this. It is possible to take the biblical truth from Ephesians 2.6 and the Colossians 3.1 and, and Romans 6, 4, 11, and 13 to turn it into a, a, a gangrene-like heresy. Because of this, I believe that Paul is talking about our future resurrection. Hear this. Our death with Christ works newness in our life now or freedom from sin now by the effect that His death has on our future. Hello. A critical point for Paul is that our death with Christ guarantees the life and the glory of our future. Believing this is utterly critical in experiencing the present power of Christ's resurrection in your own life. Believing that your future is glor gloriously secure and happy in Christ is one way that we experience the power of Christ now in defeating sin. So while it's true that we are presently risen with Christ and we share His life, Paul's emphasis here seems to be on the future resurrection of our bodies when we, we will experience complete victory over sin. I think we talked about this uh, last Sunday night. Uh, there's just something in us, and we'll, this is going to be a theme that's going to go for the next chapter and a half, just the fact that we have this sin nature. And if there were, any, if there were such a thing as a sin magnet... We could take that magnet and put it over each one of us, and each one of us would respond. It's different things in each of us, right? But we're going to respond. When that sin magnet comes near us, we're going to go to it. It's, 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 it's how we're built because of Adam's sin. We, we have that sin nature. But there's coming a day when we will have these new resurrected bodies that will not only be free from sin, <laughs> they're, they're going to be immune to sin. There will no, be more, will no more be sin. So you could take that same magnet and now wave it over me and nothing responds. How would you like to live like that? We are going to live like that one day. And it's that knowledge that's going to help us not do sin today. Well, here's how it works when you face just temptation. Perhaps you're tempted to, I know this is extreme, but maybe use drugs or to get drunk to escape from the pressures of life. Maybe you want to head back into, uh, you know, just the, the sexual, sexual immorality of your old life. But you realize that in Christ, you have been crucified to that corrupt way of life. You are now united to Christ in both His death and resurrection. His new life is in you. And someday soon, okay, you will receive a new resurrection body that cannot sin. Since that is your certain future, why would you want to sin now? Here are a couple of verses that kind of carry through this thought. In just a few more verses, John, I mean, uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 21, Paul says, What benefit were you then deriving from the th things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. So he's saying, look back at your old life in Adam. What benefit was there in doing those things, he's talking about sin, that you are now ashamed of? You're ashamed you did those things. He said, what benefit, were, what good was it you? He said, those things lead to death. So why would you ever want to go back? 
The other verse is Galatians 4.9. Paul says, but, know that you, but now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of this world whose slaves you want to be once more? In other words, why in the world would you ever want to go back? So knowing and believing the truth of your present position in sharing in Christ's death and the certain promise of living forever with Him is going to break the power of sin in your daily life. Will be to overcome sin, know that Christ's resurrection represents His complete and final victory over sin and death. Verse 9 gives the reason or basis that we believe that we will share in Christ's resurrection. Now, knowing there is a causal principle. The thought is, we believe that we will live with Christ because we know now that He is beyond the reach of death. His resurrection signifies that He will never die again. Verse 9 says that death is no longer master over Him. And verse 10 explains, saying, for the death that He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life that He lives, He lives to God when Jesus Christ came to this earth, He submitted Himself to the reign of sin and death in the sense that He came to bear our sins on the cross. He had no sins of His own to bear. We know that. But death was master over Him during that time because He came specifically to die for our sins. His death on the cross, though, was a decisive, once-for-all satisfaction of God's wrath. His victory over sin and death was complete. His resurrection put all of the terrors of sin and death behind Him once and for all. Now, the life that He lives, He lives to God. This doesn't imply that his life, Jesus' life prior to the resurrection was not lived for God. Rather, his life now is beyond the reach of death and, and every evil. It's a life lived positive, positively in and for the glory of God with no longer any negative aspect of putting away sin. That was the reason he came the first time, was to put away sin. But when he comes again, there's not going to be any of that putting away sin. So the life that he now lives, he lives fully and positively for God. So the thought in verses 9 to 10 is that Christ's death and resurrection completely and finally conquered sin and death. The promise that we will one day share completely in this victory give us this, it gives us both the desire and the power to overcome sin right now. John Piper explains the practical benefit of verses 9 and 10. He says, Sin cannot enslave a person who is utterly confident and sure and hope-filled in the infinite happiness of life with Christ in the future. Again, why in the world would you ever want to go back? Having been delivered from sin, why would you ever go back? Because of our union with Christ, in both His death and resurrection, our future resurrection is guaranteed, and that is the foundation of our overcoming sin today. Well, let's pray. 
Father, again, uh, we need your help. Father, it, it's one thing to, to, to hear this and to uh, contemplate it. Father, help us to understand it, to embrace it, uh, to realize that, yes, uh, we are assure, assured of a, a future, uh, Lord, with Jesus in bodies that cannot and thus will not sin. Uh, why should we indulge in it now? It's just going back. And sin has one object one reason for being, and that is death. Father, so I pray that you would just touch our hearts this morning. Father, help us to realize that it is that future, that, that engaging future that is going to help us in our fight against sin in this world today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, maybe you're out there this morning and you haven't ever come to God through His Son, Jesus Christ. You, are, you know that you're still attached to the world. Uh, you know the reality uh, in your own heart that you do not belong to God, that you never, you've never done business with Him for whatever reason, and the reasons can be many. I'll, I'll tell you a really bad reason. Oh, I can take care of this later. You don't know that. You absolutely do not know if you're going to have later. We're not guaranteed our next breath. Um, you know, if I, if I, I thought about this the other day. If, if, I were, if I was in a situation where I, I, I know that I was going to die, there were, there were, I'm fixing to go to heaven, and somebody says, what do you want me to tell your family? You know what I wouldn't tell them? That I love them. Why? Because I tell them every day. They know I love them. My wife is back here somewhere. <laughs> My youngest is out here. Do not I tell you every time I talk to you that I love you? Do not kiss your neck every time you come home and hug you like a bear. <laughs> they know that I love them. What I'm going to tell my family is follow Christ. Follow Christ. If you know that you're not following Christ, I encourage you, I urge you, I beg you, do it. Turn your life over to Him. Turn away from the sin that has been dragging you down. We didn't talk about it a lot today, but the Bible is clear. Sin is nothing, it, the only thing that it has on its mind is death. Death and destruction, and that's where it's going to take you. Do away with it. Follow Christ. That's going to get you eternal life. And it's simple to do. Ask God to forgive you of your sins. He is the one that you have offended when you sin. You offend God. He's your creator. He kind of has ownership of you, <laughs> and uh, he has, I don't know, uh, I don't want to call them rules, but they are. They're laws. Uh, and they're consistent with his nature. All right? That's what I love about the law. I don't like the, the fact that the law convicts me of sin, but I do like the, the fact that the law reveals God's, the way he is. It tells us something about God. So you ask God for forgiveness of sins, and you trust what Christ did on the cross 2,000 years ago. He died on the cross for our sins. He took your sins on himself on the cross and died in your stead. We call that the penal substitutionary death of Christ. He took, he paid a debt that you could not pay. He paid it for you. Trust him. Ask God to forgive you of your sins. Paul says he'll make you a new creation. And if it's a real thing in your life, you will see a severance between your old life and your new life. And that will be the day that you encountered Jesus at the foot of the cross. I encourage you, let that day be today. If you're a believer, I, this, 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 this 
sermon, this lesson, this passage really is for believers. He's talking to the Christians at Rome, saying, look, if you want to know how to know that you, to, to know how to handle sin, you have died to sin. When Christ died, you died in him. When he rose, yeah, you're that assured that one day you are going to be raised and you're going to be a sinless creature. <laughs> We're always going to be creatures of some sort. A sinless creature. Why would you ever want to go back? I tell you what, if you'll keep your mind focused on that future, it has a way of deterring what Satan puts right in front of your face today. Now, because of the society and the place that we're at in the world in today's time, man, the temptations are endless. Every time you turn on the TV, every time you look at your phone, you're going to be tempted to chase something. Now, here's the trick. What it's showing you to chase is not necessarily evil. Do you understand when you chase something that is basically good and that becomes your God? Now it's evil. Very first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. So yes, even as believers, we tend to get many gods, M-I-N-I, and we chase, chase these, chase these, chase these, instead of chasing God. If you'll keep focused on that future, the, the absolute certain future that we have because Jesus was raised from the dead we are going to be raised with new bodies new spiritual bodies that cannot sin oh what a blessing why would we ever want to go back use that knowledge to battle sin today thank you for joining us for this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville you can find more information and follow us on Facebook or visit our website, CrawfordvilleFBC.com.